Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSillaCast podcast, hosted at podfeed.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, January 16th, 2022, and this is show number 871. Well, this has been a super fun week for me for a lot of reasons and, and some lovely surprises. The first one came in the form of an email from Paul Kafasis, who is the CEO of Rogue Amoeba. Now, you've heard me talk about their software a hundred times before. I use Audio Hijack, SoundSource, and Loopback, and they're all critical parts of how I create the podcast. You really wouldn't be hearing me today if it weren't for all of that. Anyway, Paul sent me a link to a blog post that he wrote, and I really want to read to you what he wrote in this blog post. Paul wrote, Back in 2018, I wrote a post examining the evolution of the license windows found in all of our products. At the end, I highlighted a fun animation we'd recently added, which featured some no-cleanup-required digital confetti. Fast forward a few years, and I've received an email from friend of Rogue Amoeba, Allison Sheridan. Allison is a prodigious user of several of our products, using them to create a variety of podcasts over at podfeed.com. She has often has valuable feedback and questions. <laughs> I think that's tongue-in-cheek because I'm such a pain. But anyway, he says she has uh, uh, often has valuable feedback and questions, but the subject of this particular email really intrigued me. The title of the email was, Confetti Needs Sound. Now, while confetti needs sound sounds amusing, her email detailed a valid issue she'd found. While discussing the accessibility of our products on the American Council for the Blind's streaming radio show, Magic Mac, she realized that our digital confetti wasn't accessible. When unlocking our products, sighted users see the animation above, but nothing was provided for the visually impaired. We work very hard to make our software accessible, and the Golden Apple Award Audio Hijack received from the Apple Viz community fills us with pride. So after reading Allison's email, I opened a ticket in our bug tracker for further discussion. In short order, our designer-turned-sound designer, Neil, had created some possible sounds to consider. We kicked around an assortment of ideas. This was the first stab, which I found a bit too high-energy. This next one sounds like a great sent email sound, but that's not what we needed. Should unlocking our software convey the sense of mystery and wonder felt when a hidden object is suddenly revealed in a video game? Perhaps not. New Wave meets X-Files? This wasn't it either. Ultimately, this was our winner. It's soft and subtle, but it still conveys a positive note. Importantly, it's low-key enough to avoid interfering with any work you're doing with our tools. Lee had previously worked on the current iteration of our HTML license window, so he stepped up to get audio playing as desired. In just a few short days, we've gone from a user suggestion to full implementation. Once we ship the next round of updates in our lineup, this change was present in all of our products, making even our unlocking animation accessible to all. He goes on to explain that you can experience the latest in software innovation by purchasing any of our powerful audio tools, then unlocking it with your license key. But if you're a longtime user of one of our great apps who unlocked your copy many moons ago, fear not. You can unlock or you can relock the software by taking advantage of an internal testing function. I'm not going to read all of the details of that because there will be a link in the show notes, but he does give the method that you can use to unlock the, uh, the sound effects so that you can hear it for yourself, even if you're a longtime user of Rogue Amoeba products. I just 
Love this. This made my day. It made me so happy. It didn't hurt at all that he gave a link to the Podfeet podcast. I thought that was super swell of him. But it was a. It just shows the uh, the nature and quality of this company and what they find important that he would take the time to write this blog post and make sure everybody knows that they did this. So thank you, Paul. Thank you, Rogue Amoeba. I think this is really cool. Okay, enough of that. Let's get going into the show. I'd like to start out with a contribution by Alistair Jenks. In April 2019, my wife and I embarked on our first overseas trip together in 21 years to celebrate my 50th birthday. We spent a week in Singapore followed by a few days in Melbourne, Australia on the way home. One evening, a few days into the trip, I started to realise I was already having trouble recalling everywhere we had been and when. I started a note in Apple Notes with a simple bulleted list of the places we had been so far and on which days, then kept that note updated every day for the rest of the trip. I forget when the next thing happened, but I think it was when I was processing my photos from the trip in the weeks after we got home. The photos brought up detailed memories of our adventures, so I started expanding on the bullet points. Before long, I had moved from simple event recording to something new. Storytelling. As I expanded on my story of the trip, I also began to recall other trips from years gone by. Many of those trips had given rise to stories I've been telling for years. It occurred to me I could, in fact should, also record those while I still had some strong memories. Before long, I had listed out all the major trips I had made since I was 17 for both work and pleasure. It was at this point that my mind crystallised what I was doing. I was writing my story. Mindful that my late father had started a similar process at around the same age, but never got around to completing it, I decided I should make a concerted effort. I settled on the writing app Ulysses and created a new folder called my story. The more I thought about the trips, the more I realised other stories existed that did not revolve around travel but were closer to home. Mum and Dad had collated a This Is Your Lifestyle collection of information for my 40th birthday, as they had for my siblings before me. I dug this out to get a list of every house I had lived in, every school I had attended, and more. The deeper I went, the more aspects of my life leapt to mind. I started a mind map to keep track of all of the big trips and also pets, hobbies and interests, local trips, jobs, people who have influenced me and more houses. Then I began to write. I wrote when I was in the mood and about aspects that came easily to mind. When I ran out of writing time while still in full flow, I entered many brief notes to return to later. Months passed where I wrote little and then I'd get the bug again and off I'd go. As I wrote, I would try to remember details like particular locations I had visited when I was there and my impressions of places. Then I started digging out my photos. I mastered scanning strips of negatives, a skill which had eluded me for years, and I started tracking down where many of the photos had been taken. I pored over online maps trying to match them up with my memory, occasionally realising I had misremembered details, often prompting more memories. I made almost forensic level searches online for dates and to track down places that no longer exist. I sought expertise from online communities. I searched old emails and documents stored in old backups. I spoke to family and friends who had been there too. I went hard and I loved it. 
Since my father's passing, I have really enjoyed listening to or reading stories about his life, both from when I was present and when not. I also love telling my stories to just about anyone, but I'm writing my story for my children, grandchildren, and even later generations, who may never hear them from my lips. I still have a long way to go, but so far I have 40 documents covering 13 overseas trips, around 8 local trips, 8 houses, 7 jobs, and numerous other topics. Many of these are just stubs with a title and maybe a few bullet points, but I have amassed over 36,000 words so far. The end game is to complete a story for every topic I have identified, and then to take the words and plenty of photos and maps and turn them into a book. In the 1980s, one of Dad's cousins collected lots of family stories and facts going back over 140 years, and had them typewritten, then attached photos, official documents, and hand-drawn family trees, before photocopying and binding them for any family members who wanted them. They were very popular. I don't know whether my book will ever be printed, but even as a PDF, I would like it to be a pickup book to browse. Embarking on this exercise made me realise something else. I know a lot more about my father's life and view of events than my mother's. She's still around, so I made it my mission to talk to her about all the stuff from her life that I don't know, from her earliest memories to when I was a teenager or so. I bought a portable audio recorder to capture these conversations. I've only managed one so far, but will do more this year. I shared the recording with my brother and sister, from which I have follow-up questions for next time. That ball is rolling. I would like to encourage everyone to think about capturing their life's memorable moments as well as those of loved ones, and particularly if you or they are of advanced years. Storytelling has been deeply ingrained in humankind for tens of thousands of years. Let's keep it going. This is such a terrific idea, Alistair. I really think it's neat that you're uh, getting not only your father's stories, but now that you've been working on your own stories. That's going to be such a gift to your children in in, a hundred years when you're not with us anymore. And that's an inspiration to all of us to consider doing something like this for our own families. If you've been on the internet in the last few weeks, you've probably heard about a wonderful new word game that everybody is playing called Wordle. Just in case you haven't heard of it, or if you're confused at all about it, let me give you a quick intro before I give you a way to help you play the game. Wordle is a web app at powerlanguage.co.uk slash Wordle. Now, that might sound funny, but don't be confused by the imposters in the various app stores. They are not the real deal. Apple is trying to squash them as quickly as they're spawning, and I presume Google is trying to do the same thing in their app store. The problem is that the developer of Wordle, a gentleman named Wardle, refuses to monetize his game, so people really want to make money off of this. He made this game for his wife, and he gave it to the world, and everyone is trying to make money off of his generosity. An important part of the success of the game is that you can only play it once per day, and everyone who plays it on a given day is trying to guess the same word. So if you do succeed, he built into the game a way to share your success and even show how many guesses it took you to win. And in a way, and in that way, it doesn't spoil it for everyone else playing on that day. He he created this form that makes it give you some hints of how somebody solved it, but it doesn't tell you anything about the answer. 
So now that you know where to find it, let's give a tiny bit of information on how to play. Now you can find full guides on it everywhere, but I have to lay out the basics in order to, to talk about a way to help you play the game. The goal of the game is to guess a five-letter word. You get exactly six chances to guess this word. The game board is five letters across and six high. Six guesses, five letters each. Each word you guess gives you clues to the final answer. As you make each guess, the letters are color-coded. If a letter in a word you typed is not in the answer, the letter will turn gray when you hit enter on that word line. If it is in the word but it's in the wrong place, it turns kind of a dark mustard color. If it's in the word and in the right place, it turns green. With these clues, you could make a more educated second guess. Your first guess might show, say, the letter uh, L is green in position 5, but A is mustard in position 1. That means you now know the word has the letter A, but not as the first letter, and it has L as the fifth letter. And you also know that the other three letters in your original word will never be in the final answer. As you guess new words, with each guess you'll get more information about what letters are in and not in the word, and the positions of those letters, or the possible positions. One trick of the game is that there may be two of a letter, and it never tells you that. In our example, we learned that there was an A in a position other than the first character, but that doesn't mean there aren't two A's in the word. If you really enjoy stretching your brain and working hard on a puzzle like this, you'll work on it on your own and not try to find any assistance. This advice I'm about to give you is not for you. If you get bored quickly with games and puzzles like I do, maybe you want a way to get some extra help. Yes, I understand it's missing the entire point of playing the game in the first place. And yes, by most measures, getting help is probably cheating. But as long as I don't pretend I'm doing it myself, it makes me enjoy it more, and I don't think that hurts anyone. The first time I played Wordle was on game 208. I was paralyzed looking at this blank slate. I mean, how many five-letter words are there anyway? Where would one start? The first word I thought of that had five letters in it had, was the word slack. But that was wrong. It did say that the A was in the answer, but not in position three. As soon as slack was in my head, I could not think of any other words but black, snack, flack. You see my problem, right? Everything rhymed with the word I had and had the A in the third position, and I already know that's wrong. At this point, for some reason, once it was in my head, all those rhyming words, I couldn't think of anything else. I resorted to googling five-letter words for inspiration to make a guess that didn't rhyme with slack. Once I got rolling with a new word, I figured out how the game was played and I got to the answer in five of the six tries. The answer to puzzle 208 was Abby, A-B-B-E-Y. Now that's going to be important to what we're going to talk about. Now since that was two days ago, I am not spoiling the game for anyone but those who might choose to roll their system clocks back to play other games. So I tell you all of this because I realize that Barbu Shots has given us another way to enhance our skills, otherwise known as cheating. But it's really cool, I promise. I remembered that in our Taming the Terminal series, Chapter 17, Bart started teaching us about regular expressions. Regular expressions are a way to search for text strings where you know something about what you're looking for, but not enough information to find it without assistance. Bart chose as an example the idea that you're working on a thorny crossword puzzle, and you need a word that fits into the pattern something E something something F something. This is exactly the kind of problem we have to solve with Wordle. Now, even the simplest of regular expressions kind of look like a cat walked across your keyboard. I've successfully done a few regular expressions, but nothing too advanced without calling in Bart or Alistair for help. 
Luckily for our needs, we don't need to do anything too crazy with our regular expressions, and we're only going to use a very few characters that are used in regular expressions to try to accomplish this. But before we actually create a regular expression to search for five-letter words that match this pattern, you're probably wondering, well, where are you going to search? Turns out on every Mac in applications slash utilities, there's an application called Terminal. This is a command line tool that lets you do all kinds of swell things, and it's the basis for the entire Taming the Terminal book. Now, if you run Linux, you have a command line tool there as well. Bart explained in Taming the Terminal 17 that inside the operating system is a built-in dictionary of English words. I confirmed with Sir Britch on Twitter that even if your system language is non-English, theirs was Italian, the dictionary will still be in English. The dictionary is in the location slash USR slash share slash dicks slash words on both Mac and Linux. Now, you're not going to need to remember that because you're going to be able to just copy and paste it from the instructions I've written in, this, in the blog post that goes along with this article. To start a regular expression matching exercise, you're going to use the command egrep. Now, if you care, egrep is a variant of grep, and grep stands for globally search for a regular expression and print matching lines, G-R-E-P. Are you glad you asked? It doesn't matter. It's just, think of the word egrep as meaning search. That's all you care about. Okay, so we know where the dictionary is on our system, and we know that egrep is the command to start the search. All we need to do is write a regular expression to execute the search. With regular expressions, you can bookend them with characters that mean starts with and ends with. The caret symbol, which is the little hat above the six on a US keyboard, means starts with, and the dollar symbol means the end. If we put five characters between the hat and the dollar symbol in the regular expression, then egrep knows to search for five-letter words. Throw that regular expression in between quotes, because it turns out sometimes things get weird if you don't keep it in quotes. So just put quotes around this search term. If you don't know any of the letters in the search, you type a dot, a period, for every character. For example, if you wanted to see every five-letter word in the English language, at least in this dictionary, you'd write egrep the caret to say I'm starting the word, dot, 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 dollar symbol, and then slash user, slash share, slash dick, slash words. And of course, the uh, regular expression was inside quotes. That sounds complicated. If you see it written, it's really not that bad. It's four periods between a caret and a dollar. All right, that's fun and better than Googling to see five-letter words, but that's a very, very long list of words. Let's make a search where we know a little bit more about the word. If we know where a specific letter is in the word, we can use that letter instead of the dot to narrow our search. When I was playing Wordle 208, I'd figured out that the second letter was B and the fourth letter was an E. So we can update our egrep search to be egrep, the caret, and then dot B dot E dot, right? So we don't know the first, third, or fifth letter, but we know the B and the E. It turns out there's only seven words in the English language that match that pattern. There's Abby, Abiz, Abler, Abner, Abnet, Abret, and Obli. Well, when you look at that list of words, there's only one common word that would be likely to be in the puzzle, and that was Abby, and that turned out to be the answer to Wordle 208. Now, it did make me wonder whether I could download a common English dictionary, but that seemed a little bit over the top. Plus, I couldn't easily find one. Now, this won't always give you the answer to the puzzle. When Steve was playing Wordle 210, he knew that the second letter was A and the fifth letter was C. So I ran the same regular expression pattern. So this time it was dot A dot dot C. 
There were a lot of words in the results of that search, but only four of them were common. Basic, Havoc, Magic, and Panic. Now, you wouldn't get the final answer with four to choose from, but if you use this trick early in the game, it would be a great basis to narrowing things down for your next guess. All this is well and good when you know exactly where the characters are. But what if you know a character is in a word, but you don't know whether it's in the fourth or fifth position? Regular expressions allow to use a symbol to mean or, so you can search for the fourth or fifth position in the word. To designate or, we use what's called the pipe. It looks like a vertical line and it's above the forward slash on an English keyboard. With the pipe doing the job of or for us, we can string two of these regular expressions together to ask for five-letter words with an A in the second position and a C in the fourth or fifth position. So I just put in dot .a.c. Dot dot or dot .a.c. Dot dot so it's just those two options. That returns about 40 to 50 results, but only 12 of them are what I would consider common English words. 12 to choose from, again, won't solve the puzzle on the last round, but it could help stimulate your brain when making a mid-game guess. Note no silly castaway Klaus Wolf, also known as Mac Topics on Twitter, got inspired by a tweet I posted about using regular expressions to help with Wordle. He tagged me and Bart with a link to a video he made of an even more advanced way to assist Wordle gameplay. He actually wrote a Python script to help search the built-in dictionary. He gave me permission to post the video in my blog post about this after rolling back his system clock to make sure he didn't post today's answer. Also, remember I said I didn't download a common word list because I didn't know where to find it? Well, Klaus found Wordle's GitHub repository, and he's got the full word list there of common words. If you want to download it for yourself, I put a link in the show notes that Klaus gave me to the word list on GitHub. Now, the bottom line is, I know I'm going to get hater comments that this is cheating. But maybe for some of us, it makes the game fun, where maybe we'd never play it again if we didn't have some help. So if you're a purist, I hope you learned something here anyway that might be useful for other applications, and that you don't judge the rest of us for having some nerd help with our gameplay. Plus, like, like uh, Klaus said, this was really fun to figure out. If you like this and you want to learn more about the terminal, I can highly recommend the fabulous Taming the Terminal podcast, and you can sub subscribe to that in your podcatcher of choice, or you can download the free ebook in the format of your choice at podfeed.com slash tttbook, or you can view it online and listen to the podcast along with it at tttt.bartificer.net. And of course, all of those links are in the article referenced in the show notes. You may have noticed that this show is not supported by ads. It's supported by the Nocilla Castaways. This week, we had three wonderful people show their support financially, and it was in three different ways. I told you this was an exciting week, didn't I? Well, Graham Smale became a patron by going to podfeet.com slash Patreon and choosing a dollar amount per NoSilicast episode that showed the value he sees in the shows we produce here. Tom Stewart was already a patron of the shows, but he actually went in and he added his pledge to make it higher. And finally, Corey Anderson, who is a very sweet man, wrote me a lovely letter thanking me for being gentle in answering his questions and telling me he appreciated that I did not call him an idiot, nor was I snarky at all. Now, if anybody who knows me knows that I am snarky most of the time, but apparently I was kind to him. It may be a little bit sad that others must have done that to him when he asked questions, but you know what? That's just not who we are in those No Silicast Ways community, right? 
Anyway, his letter made my day, but then he went to podfeet.com slash PayPal and he did a one-time donation to show his appreciation and to help pay the bills. All three of these gentlemen are my heroes, and I thank them for showing their appreciation of the work we do here at the Podfeet Podcast. I told you last week that I'd replaced my AirPods with Beats Fit Pro. I did this because the AirPods Pro squirt out of my ears, and the AirPods Gen 2 don't charge properly, and that I lost one before I could execute yet another warranty repair on first-generation or second-generation AirPods. I wanted to give a little update on the situation in my ears. When I wrote my review of the Beats Fit Pro, I had not yet run in them. I'd only walked and done chores while wearing them. I've been on a couple of runs now, and the right one does have a little bit of a tendency to work its way out. It kind of rotates until the little ear hook kind of goes to the outer uh, rim of my ear instead of the inner rim. It's easy enough to kind of twist it back in to get the ear hook where it belongs, but it's not stinging quite as well as I first told you. It's a lot easier to twist back in than the AirPods Pro were to take out of my ear, squeeze the ear tips, squish them in, rotate. It was, it was a real pain. So I am still happier with the Beats, but I didn't want to, I kind of left you with the impression that they fit perfectly. Now, I've also noticed that sometimes they hurt a little bit after wearing them for a long time, and yet at other times I can wear them for hours without discomfort. I need to do some more scientific experiments to determine if maybe there's a position in which they just feel better in my ears. Again, that rotating thing I was just talking about. Now, the other day I was power washing my neighbor's driveway. You see, he was in the hospital, so he couldn't stop me from doing it. I was listening to a podcast and I realized that it didn't sound like noise cancellation was enabled. I did a long press to turn it on, and I have to say it was an amazing difference for such a loud and continuous sound. I was very pleased and impressed. I was able to hear my podcast and not have as much sound coming into my ears. I could have sworn that the AirPods keep noise cancellation enabled if I had it on during the previous usage, but the Beats Fit Pro definitely do not. They always default noise cancellation to off. So keep that in mind if you get them. You might think, hey, it's not working, and you find out it's off because I think it's off every time you turn them on. I also mentioned that Steve has the Beats Power Beats Pro, which is totally different than Beats Fit Pro. Anyway, those are the ones, his are the ones that have the wraparound hooks for the outside of your ears. The other day, he wanted to watch The Expanse while I, watch, I was watching another show in an adjacent room, and we were going to have conflicting audio. Now, a show like The Expanse isn't any fun with the volume without the volume turned way up, so he decided to use his Powerbeats Pro to connect to the Apple TV over Bluetooth. Now, we're not exactly sure why, but the Apple TV simply did not see his Powerbeats Pro. He tried my Beats Fit Pro, and the Apple TV immediately saw them and connected. That let him try out spatial audio, and uh, we don't think that's supported on the Powerbeats Pro, so it was pretty cool that he got to try spatial audio with the Expanse, and he seemed to enjoy the experience. Now that he tried them for TV watching, he thought it might be fun to try them for running. There are a few things to note. He first ran the fit test when he put them in his ears, and with small, medium, and large tips, none of them would give him a successful fit test. He doesn't have a strong interest in noise cancellation, so he just ended up choosing the medium tips for comfort. I have to say, I'm starting to think maybe his ear holes are triangular or something because nothing seems to fit in them. Anyway, with the medium ear tips, his analysis after the run was that they felt good and most importantly, they stayed in his ears just fine, which is hard to find for his ears. There was one funny thing when he was doing the setup with his iPhone to connect to my Beats Fit Pro. 
You know how when you open a set of AirPods or Beats, sometimes, if you're lucky, a graphic slides up from the bottom showing you the, st- the headphones and their battery status. When he opened my Beats Fit Pro next to his phone, the graphic said, not your Beat Fit Pro, which I thought was really funny, especially after last week when I just said buying them in stone purple ensured he would never steal them. I thought it was hilarious. Anyway, after I posted the article about the Beats Fit Pro and how much I like them, I got an email from Gazmaz saying he had been unable to find them in Europe. A couple of days later, I heard on macOS Ken that Apple had just announced that they would be bringing Beats Fit Pro to Europe, Japan, and Canada in late January. So if you're looking for them and couldn't find them in your country, they will be available soon, at least in those three uh, regions. Now, last week, I also told you about how last October, just a few months after I bought yet another pair of Gen 2 AirPods, they started to fail just like the first pair, where I would pull a headphone out and it wouldn't be charged. I'd put it back in and it would say it was charged. I was going to get a replacement through AppleCare again, but before uh, before I could call them, I lost one of them. I was so disheartened by the process the last time I had to replace an AirPod that I'd been procrastinating for two months about getting it replaced. Well, after writing about it this week, I decided I would spend the time and energy going back to Apple to get the replacement so that if it did fail again, I could get them replaced again and again and again. I called Apple, and it was, of course, a nightmare. In the, I, I went to, through the automated phone tree. I pushed some buttons that seemed logical to what they were asking me. And after 28 minutes, I was connected to Kevin, who immediately after picking up said, I'm in tech support. I can't help you at all. Let me connect you to sales. Fine. When sales connected, Alicia said she couldn't help me. The only way I could get help was to go through AppleCare. I asked her how she would have directed me if I didn't have AppleCare. She told me something very interesting that you should keep in mind if you're considering AirPods. She told me that you simply cannot buy one AirPod without AppleCare. She said that in order to buy one, you have to return the case and the remaining AirPod, and then they ship you a whole new set, probably refurbed. I didn't ask how much that cost, but I did say, You do realize how dumb this sounds that you can't buy a replacement, right? And she said, yeah, I hear it. Anyway, so do keep that in mind. If you ever buy AirPods and you worry that you might lose one, I really recommend you buy AppleCare. Plus, they seem to fail a lot. So, you know, there's that. I was then transferred to AppleCare where Julia asked me if I tried to find the lost AirPod. Seriously, I answered her, no, I'm a moron. That never occurred to me. Told you I was snarky, Corey. Anyway, the number of questions I had to answer was ridiculous. I wanted to hand her the stupid expensive $79 to get an AirPod, but it was like I was applying to adopt a human. It was so messy and long. At one point, she asked me some super invasive question that there was no reason she needed to know the answer to it. And I, I wish I could remember what it was. I told her to write down anything she wanted because I wasn't going to answer her question. It ended up taking me 52 minutes to give Apple money to buy a replacement under AppleCare, and it left me feeling abused and angry. I got the replacement in two days, which was nice. I put the uh, that left AirPod in the case, and I charged it for several hours. I connected to the AirPods, and the new left AirPod had no sound. Put them back in the case. I told my phone to forget them. I reconnected, took them out. Charged them longer. I did everything I could think of. No joy. I gave them a timeout for two days. I was, I was just really angry about it. And just today I tried them and now the left AirPod started working. 
For, but for a brief moment, I saw a pop-up that said the left AirPod was at 2%. Are you kidding me? I put them back in the case, and over hours and hours, I got the left AirPod up to 100%. I went on a walk for them, and they did seem to work just fine, and they were about 85-87% down after an hour of walking. I have zero expectation that this new AirPod will be any better than the previous two. I have every expectation that I will be back with uh, AppleCare by the next time I give you an update on this story. Now, I do want to tell you guys one thing, and I'm killing myself. I can't find it. Somebody either emailed me, texted me, telegrammed me, discorded me, tweeted me. Somewhere somebody said they had the exact same problem with their AirPods not being able to charge like that. And so they went to, to Beats Fit Pro and they had the same problem. I wanted to quote them, and I but I cannot find it. If you're the person who sent it to me, let me know. I did want to acknowledge you, but I can't remember who it was. I sure hope that I don't have the same problem with uh, the Beats Fit Pro. They surmised that maybe it was something getting in the case. And I don't know, I, I, it's really killing me that I can't remember who it was. Anyway, in order to find out whether these AirPods are failing or working, it means I'm going to have to start using them again, which won't be a bad thing because I really do like them so much. They were quite light and nice to wear on my walk. But when they inevitably fail yet again, you may be able to hear my wail of anguish from wherever you live. Okay, we're going to switch gears to something happy-making. It starts out like a sad story, but becomes a very happy story. You may remember that a year ago, Steve, in a moment of lunacy, bought me a Pro Display XDR. Not only that, he sprung for the extra $1,000 for Apple Stand. When I talked about it last year, I mentioned that the stand left me a little bit disappointed. I promise this article won't just be about the Pro Display XDR. The solution that I'm going to talk about today may be helpful regardless of the size and supplier of your external display. But let's start with the problem I had to solve. The problem is that the stand does not accommodate the sitting eye height for women. At its lowest position, the top of the display is far above the comfortable viewing height for women. Now, this isn't just my problem, and I can prove it. I believe that Apple has not considered the effect of their design decisions on women, and this is disappointing. Makes me wonder how male-dominated the design team, the review team, and the testing teams might be. But let's not speculate on that. I said I could prove the height of the monitor isn't comfortable for women in general, not just me, and let's explore that. NASA and other space agencies have to build out their spaceships for men and women of many races. The days of all astronauts being male are finally past us. The days of only Russians and white Americans going to space are also well behind us. Government agencies like NASA have specs on absolutely everything, and everything they do is in the public. This allowed me to pull the specs on male and female sitting eye height from NASA. According to NASA's Manned Systems Integration Standards Volume 1, Section 3.3 Anthropometric and Biomechanics Related Design Data, the 50th percentile male's height from sitting is 3.1 inches higher than the 50th percentile female. Now, the spec also looks at the 5th percentile and 95th percentile, where Asian Japanese women are in the 5th percentile and white or black American males are in the 95th percentile. If you're an Asian Japanese woman, you are likely 7.4 inches shorter in sitting eye height than the 95th percentile black or white American male. 
Before I draw conclusions from this data, it's important to note that the spec warns in section 3.2.1 of the anthropometric database design considerations, they say, quote, misuse of the 50th percentile. There is an erroneous tendency to consider the 50th percentile dimensional data as sufficient to accommodate the majority of users. This must not be done. The 50th percentile dimensions will accommodate only a narrow portion of the population, not a majority of the users. The full size range of users must be considered. Let's repeat that last line. The full size range of users must be considered. So keeping that warning in mind, let's look at that 50th percentile number. According to NASA, male eye height from seat is 3.1 inches higher for men than women at the 50th percentile. The 50th percentile woman is 29.1 inches from seat to eye level. I had Steve measure my eye height from sitting on a hard chair, and I'm right around 29 inches, which is right at the 50th percentile for women. I sit on a chair Steve bought me from a big and tall store to get me as high as I possibly can without my legs hitting the underside of the desk or my legs dangling off the chair. In this giant chair, my arms are in an ergonomically neutral position for typing. Now let's get back to the Pro Display XDR stand. While this stand does allow adjustment of the display, it only allows it to go up from above way too high for me. The lowest it can go is to set the top of the display 21 inches above the desk. Now, ergonomics experts will tell you to have the top of the screen at eye level. With my sitting eye height at 29 inches, 50th percentile, the top of the display at its lowest level is 4.5 inches above my line of vision. If I were in the 5th percentile with Japanese women, the top of the screen would be nearly 7 inches above my eye height. So to summarize, for $1,000, a 50th percentile woman sitting in a big and tall chair can't comfortably see the top four and a half inches of the display. I promised this would be a fun story and a happy story in the end. After a year of watching me crane my neck to see the top of my display or just move everything down four and a half inches and have wasted space at the top, Steve decided to fix the problem for me. He went on the hunt for an articulated display arm that was strong enough to hold up the Pro Display XDR safely and yet provide me adjustments up and more importantly down so that I could comfortably use my display. He settled on the Ergotron LX desk monitor arm, which runs $243, but it's currently on sale for $189. To use this arm with the XDR, he also had me buy or he bought the Apple Visa mount adapter from for the Pro Display XDR for another $200. So for less than half the cost of the Apple Display, I'm sorry, for less than half the cost of the Apple XDR stand, I can say that the Ergotron was the right answer for me. This display arm and the company Ergotron may work with your displays and might give you the flexibility you need. The most important thing to know is whether a display arm is strong enough to support your display. Ergotron has a handy-dandy mount finder where you choose the manufacturer and model number for your display, and then they suggest mounts that will accommodate your needs. The LX display arm Steve chose is the desk-mounted version and will support from 7 to 25 pounds and displays up to 34 inches. It has a travel of 13 inches vertically, it can tilt 75 degrees, as well as pan and rotate 360 degrees. I'm sure glad about that last spec because my Apple stand could rotate the, the display vertically and I absolutely never once found a need for that feature. 
Two different mount methods come included with the LX display arm. You can either clamp it to the desk, which is what we chose, or you can use what they call a grommet hole. In this configuration, you would drill a hole through your table or desk and then connect a plate on the underside. You can also choose how many degrees of freedom you want on the arm by using both of the included moment arms or just one. We chose the full articulation method because I wanted as much flexibility as possible. With both arms in play, I can move the display forward and back on my desk and in fact almost to the very front of my desk if I ever needed that option. We attached the Apple Visa display adapter to the back of the display with four screws. We assembled the LX arm and connected it to the Visa adapter. Then with lots of, look out, don't hit that, your corner's near the edge, tilt it, comments to each other, we were able to carefully guide the LX arm into the clamp on the desk. We knew that we would need to do some adjustments to balance the display on the arm, so when we assembled it and the display sank to the tabletop, we weren't surprised. Instead of reading the directions, though, we looked at the joints and then looked at the included tools and started muttering how they didn't give us the correct size Allen wrenches to make the adjustments. I went through all of the sets of Allen wrenches we have and all of the bags of random Allen wrenches left over from various projects, probably Ikea, and the hex key required was halfway between two sizes we had. We looked at both metric and imperial sizes and we could not find the right tool. Between swear words, I suddenly had an epiphany. I wondered if the instructions might say how to adjust the tightness of the joints. Now, this isn't as dumb as it sounds because most of the pages of the manual have giant graphics with super obvious arrows telling you what to do, but the adjustment pages at first glance look like those warnings you never read on products like, don't put this electric toothbrush in the microwave. I kept going past that page and I eventually found the trick to adjusting the LX arm. You don't use an Allen wrench to just tighten the joint by going perpendicular to the arm. Those are not the right joints, or not the right place to use your uh, Allen wrench. To adjust the arm, you actually have to tighten or loosen a screw that runs along the arm, not perpendicular, and it, it's going on the inside of the arm. If you flex the joints properly, you'll see a hex head screw that does fit the included Allen wrench. In relatively short order, we got the display to stay up, and more importantly, I could lower it down as low as I wanted. I could see the top of my display at eye level for the first time in a year. We declared victory. After about a week of using the display on my shockingly inexpensive monitor arm from Ergotron, I started to think that maybe it could be adjusted even better than it was. The problem to solve was that it wasn't really balanced in the difficulty of movement up versus down. Now that I could adjust it, I was finding I wanted to adjust it up and down pretty often. Pushing it down was trivially easy, and in fact, I had to be careful not to just slam it down to the desk. But to push it up, I had to stand up, grab the display from both sides while leaning over the desk, which isn't back friendly, and pull it up with a fair bit of strength. Included in the box was a card that practically begged me to contact Ergotron if I needed any help at all. Here's why Ergotron really gets my five-star rating. I could call them on the phone, I could email them, or I could get on live chat. Try to find most companies' method to contact them, and you'll be lucky if you can find even one method, and it's usually like DM us on Twitter or something silly these days. I chose the chat method, and Kevin helped me understand exactly how to do what I wanted. He was patient, and he even made sure I knew which way was clockwise as he walked me through the adjustment. Remember, I had to turn that hex key to tighten the screw so the display didn't fall to the desk? It turns out I just had to keep tightening. I didn't think to do that because going up was already too hard, so I got turned around in my brain thinking turning the screw would make down and up harder. 
But Kevin explained that when you turn the screw, you're actually tightening a spring that balances how hard it is to go up versus down. I really should have thought of that because it was really easy to go down before and we just made it a little harder to go down. By tightening, you're increasing the lift strength so that if the weight is too heavy, this will help it go up more easily while making it harder to go down. This was exactly what I was looking for. I was surprised that it took at least full eight full revolutions of the hex wrench before I had it balanced to my satisfaction. The bottom line is that whether you've got a small secondary or tertiary display or one of those giant 30-inch curved Samsungs or even a Pro Display XDR, if your display has a mounting option, I definitely recommend taking a look at the monitor arms from Ergotron. Their customer support is great and they won't cost you a house payment to get your displays exactly where you want them. Also, can I interest you in a gently used Pro Display XDR stand? Well, with ending on that happy note, it's going to wind us up for this week. Did you know that you can email me at allison at podfeet.com any old time? You could be like Corey and write to me just for fun. If you have a question or suggestion, just send it on over. Now, I'm not on Facebook anymore, so Twitter's a great place to follow me online at, at Podfeet. Better yet, though, join our Slack community at podfeet.com slash Slack. And in there, you can talk to me and all of the other lovely NoSilla castaways, including Bart. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. You can support the show at podfeet.com slash Patreon or with a one-time donation at podfeet.com slash PayPal, like our three heroes of this week. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nosilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.